Please listen carefully. Welcome to Autism in the Wild, the show that talks about what it's really like living with autism. Here are your hosts, Noah and Chris. Alright, welcome to another episode of Autism in the Wild. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Noah. Alright, today we're continuing our interviews at Christmas time with our relatives. And today we have my brother, Joe, here on the podcast. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me. Alright, so why don't you give people a little bit of background about what you, who you are and what you do. Sure. So I am Chris's younger brother. Uh, and I am an eye doctor that I live in um, Atlanta, Georgia, and kind of the the specialty area that I practice in has to do with working with kids that um, have difficulties with um, using their eyes visually for academic work usually. Uh, and so we do eye therapy or vision therapy, um, which is just a little bit different than the standard um, eye exam that, that most people get when they think of getting their eyeglasses in contact. So... Um, yeah. Cool. So what made you want to get into optometry? So I kind of got interested because um, when I was, I guess, in my home, in the hometown, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities to kind of do something for a summer job, and I happened to get a job working at the eye doctor office fixing and repairing glasses during the summer and kind of just enjoyed it and kind of liked the uh, the profession from the outside looking in as I got to kind of be a part of the office a little bit more. So the interest kind of just grew from there, and uh, and here we are. Back then, you almost had 20-20 vision of your future. <laughs> yes, that is I did at the time. There's so many, <laughs> so many eye doctor jokes that we've done over the years. I, I'll yes. spare everyone the details, but I had to throw one in there. <laughs> so you were in college when you were working in the office, that optometry office. I did through high school and college. Oh, okay. Yep. So, so even before, even when you went to college, you were studying what, biology? Yeah, I, I enjoyed sciences um, throughout high school, and so in the college it seemed a good fit to go into something. I never really thought about it as being in the medical field per se, but um, mm-hmm. just like the, the profession, because of the person who I was working for, um, like the environment of the office and some of the opportunities it offered. And so because it fit into that uh, interest in science that I had, it just seemed to, to, to me to be a good fit. Great. So, so how, do you, how did you get involved with vision therapy? What got you started in vision therapy? Well, uh, my wife, Natara, is also an optometrist, and she actually was more specialized in vision therapy um, coming right out of optometry school. Um, when we graduated, and so she started an office that uh, allowed um, her to really specialize in that area, and at the time, I was working in what we would consider primary care optometry, which is uh, where you go in, where most people get their eyes checked uh, for their annual health visits and to see if they needed to wear glasses or anything like that, so basically, as as the office grew and um, her practice got busier, I started to kind of come over and, and help out a little bit. And and so my interest was always kind of in the pediatric realm, but I just never really got into pediatrics directly. It was more through the primary care office. And so this was then an opportunity for me to step in with her 
to be able to work more in that in that field. Cool. In the in the professional world, how do you relate to autism? So vision therapy practices are a little different in that the kids that we see, a lot of them are actually already um, checked by eye doctors and it's determined that they maybe need glasses, but sometimes don't, but they're just not coordinating their eyes um, well, either their ability to use their eyes together to see um, as far as eye focusing or tracking when they read or what we call eye coordination or eye teaming, so Mm -hmm. using their eyes together to work. Those are the types of kids we typically see in our office. And mm-hmm. in the autism spectrum, we see a lot of those kids coming in with inaccuracies in mm-hmm. their vision, sometimes with the eye focusing skills or eye tracking. Mm-hmm. Also, we see a lot of them come in where uh, their visual system is a little um, overwhelmed, I'd, I would kind of describe it. So what I mean by that is um, we see a lot of the kids who have a hard time processing all the sensory information that's coming in. Mm-hmm. And so visually, there's a lot of details that our, our vision system takes in. And so a lot of them use a lot of peripheral vision in their day to see things instead of being able to focus on the details, which is a challenge for them in school with reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we see a lot of kids where we work on getting them to be more accurate and more consistent with and comfortable with using their eyes to see in those, I guess, in, in that kind of um, activities like reading and, and schoolwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it comes to the, the, your your patients that you see and the therapies that you do, is there really do you treat people with autism differently than other people, or is it really based on the needs of the patient? It's definitely based on the needs of each patient that comes in. So, because again, we see a lot of kids with a lot of different types of learning challenges, um, not just autism spectrum. We see kids with Down syndrome, um, dyslexia. We see a lot of kids there. And we don't treat those conditions, but we treat any type of visual concerns that they have that contribute to the difficulties they might have in learning. So just like someone who doesn't have those types of conditions Mm -hmm. might have those areas. So yeah, certain patients present certain challenges that we just have to adapt to, but the tests that we do are very similar. Um, The therapies we do are very similar, uh, but everything is always adapted to each of the kids that comes in. Cool. Yeah. All right. So I have a couple of questions then uh, about vision therapy that maybe would help people understand a little bit more. (coughs) Sure. People listening to this don't know much about it. Uh, What are, so number one, what would be some of the signs that parents or educators might look for to say, maybe I should have my child evaluated for vision therapy. And then the follow-up would be maybe provide a couple examples of the types of techniques or therapies that you do during sure. the therapy sessions. So we use a um, checklist that has been used in studies in the past. And a lot of it is uh, related to either symptoms that you have um, with doing close-up work. So it could be discomfort with the eyes when they're reading or doing close-up work, uh, losing your place when you read. Um, Some of the ones that we see um, that are really indicative of kids having troubles are the words on the page go in and out of focus, or if they have a hard time seeing the board in school, but they don't need glasses. So like I mentioned, a lot of the kids that we see They'll come in and and read the smallest letters on the chart. They don't have a problem with their eyesight, but they still complain of blurred vision. And that, to us, indicates a challenge with them controlling their visual system. 
So the okay. way we describe it is you have to be able to, your brain is controlling your eyes, um, these muscles that control the focusing and the eye teaming. And if it's not accurate, where you look and where you focus are not necessarily going to match the target that you're looking at. So we see a lot of visual inaccuracies uh, with that. And that's one of the things with um, kids on this autism spectrum, the eye focusing inaccuracies are when so we see quite a bit. So, you know, in, in the question before, do we treat them differently? We don't. But at the same time, knowing that that's a challenge for those kids, we might actually prescribe reading glasses for them more readily than, than another child where we know maybe that's not as much of a concern. Uh, because we know that that comes up um, in the research with autism, so so it's definitely a consideration when you're sure when you're setting up the techniques and the therapies and the treatment plan, right? And mm-hmm. you know, and the other thing too, um, you know, we get some kids with autism that are nonverbal, so we mm-hmm. set up the exam a little different to use targets that are more matching. Uh, so we we test to make sure they can see the targets close up. And then we present the same targets far away. And then if they can see it, they can match it to the one that's close. And we can make the, the targets on the on the chart um, smaller and smaller so we can actually test their eyesight while they're just doing a matching game, basically, um, is how we handle that. So sure. we do set those things up a little different. And then the therapy techniques, it all kind of, again, it depends on what their specific need is in the therapy room. But we do a lot of work with lenses, which make kind of stimulate your eyes to do certain things or relax your eyes in a certain way. And we're basically trying to teach the brain um, how to build the control uh, of the eyes. Uh, and again, when we work with a lot of the kids with um, autism, we look work a lot on fixation skills. Uh, so there's a lot of information about the lack of eye contact sometimes. Mm-hmm. We don't always specifically work on you know, them learning to make eye contact, what we want to do is learn, teach, help teach them to learn how to point their eyes specifically at a target and then interact with that target. Mm. So when they look at, let's say, a, a ball that has a sticker on it uh, and they can follow that ball as it moves and they're looking at the sticker, can they reach out and interact with the sticker um, to touch it so that we know that their eyes are pointed where they need to be and they're accurate because they're touching the target where they think it is. So a lot of what we do has to do with kind of the exploration of visual space and working on improving the accuracy there if they have concerns with that. Cool. Yeah. So Noah, we we visited their office a few mm-hmm. several years ago. Yeah. What do you remember about some of the? Things? I just remember there was like this board that had like lights or something like that, and you had mm-hmm. to like touch the lights, and they kept getting faster or something like that. It's Kind of hazy, and I'm trying to think, remember, but that's kind of all I remember. It was, wasn't it able testing your peripheral vision a little bit to, so you had to kind of look to see where the lights were and you had to reach and touch them, kind of thing? Yeah, that's one of the nice things. We have the techniques like that where in, in that situation, we can have you look at a specific target and have to reach and touch it on a, on a touch screen. Mm-hmm. I think you did the touch screen TV that we had. Yeah. And then as soon as you touch it, it, it goes somewhere else. So your peripheral vision picks it up mm-hmm. and then you have to locate it and fixate on the target and then you have to touch the target. Mm-hmm. And in that case, if you touch the target, it disappears and it 
appears somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't hit it, you hear a buzzing noise that tells you, hey, you were a little bit inaccurate with your vision there. So yeah. if I remember right, we put you on the balance board mm -hmm. um, yeah. while you did that also. Um, because what we'd like to do when we work with your visual skills is incorporate multi-sensory processes at the same time because okay. we, you never use your vision in isolation. Mm -hmm. uh, so we want to make sure you can control your vision while you're um, balancing on a balance board or on a walking rail. We use that a lot uh, just so that it's not just a, a vision skill that you're learning. It's integrated into you um, okay. on a sensory um, level, a multi-sensory level. Okay. Yeah, there's also a ball that was hanging from the ceiling too. Mm -hmm. I, that I remember you guys interacting mm -hmm. with, and then something about throwing bean bags or something and having to catch them, and it was—I mean, I don't remember very much, but yeah, I mean, as a, yeah. from the parents' point of view, you know, you were—it uh, was really cool to see mm -hmm. how you interacted with this stuff because I—I don't—I don't know a whole lot about vision therapy, even though I, you know, I know some. It was fun to actually see it in action. Mm -hmm. Well, it was fun, too, because Isaac was there also. Oh, yeah. And so the things that you we had you doing, we wouldn't have Isaac doing. Yeah. Because Isaac, um, spatially, visual spatially, he's very good at moving around in his environment mm -hmm. um, without... Uh, inaccuracies, I would say, right? So, so we would he, we would expect him to be able to do things on the balance board while we throw beanbags at him, because that's maybe something that's not that, that he's got as a strength for, of his. Right. Whereas for you, Noah, that was one of the things we were working with you yeah. that day, mm -hmm. because it was a little less comfortable for you yeah. when you were doing those things. Yeah, so, and the idea with the vision therapy is to to find areas that aren't your your strengths. And to challenge those a little bit, to actually yeah. work on trying to improve those skills in a way that it um, allows you to um, be successful, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, but as you start to gain a better level of control, then you can add different things in. Okay. And the goal is that as you start building these skills up in the therapy room, then you, you'll be able to apply them in your everyday life so that it makes your ability to, to use your vision system to interact with your world mm -hmm. um, easier day to day. Okay. So one of, one of the things that, because Isaac is nonverbal, that we had kind of struggled with in the past is getting a good eye exam. I mean, does his brothers have glasses? So I've always, growing up, I always wondered, it seems like his eyes are working okay, but I, I didn't really know. We took him to, I believe, an ophthalmologist, you guys saw an opto optometrist as well. Optometrist who, okay, mm -hmm. he dilated, like super, super dilated the eyes mm -hmm. to get like a picture of, of the eyes, which mm -hmm. I guess was good from just a, a structural point of view. Yeah. But it was, he, he, Isaac's not the type of kid, and there's a lot of kids like him, they can't say better or worse. Right. A or B, or whatever you guys do, you know. Right. And, and so we really never knew if his he needed uh, glasses. So... You came, you know, one over break, one of the breaks, you were able to kind of give him an ad hoc exam, like mm -hmm. in our parents' living room, right. or kitchen even, and you were able to kind of let us know that his vision was good. So, And then later on, we took him to an uh, optometrist in, in our area, and she was able to do a more formal exam with him, and she's in the same kind of camp that you are in terms right. of mm -hmm. training. So maybe you can kind of talk to us a little bit about 
um, how if you if if someone's listening and they have uh, a sibling or someone they know who doesn't talk autism or other otherwise, how do you get a good eye exam on those types of of kids? Sure. Well, and this goes to the fact where um, um, our office is a participant in something called the Infancy Program. So for infants ages 6 to 12 months, we do a free comprehensive exam um, on those infants as well. Well, certainly they're not going to be able to give us much feedback. And the idea is that we do have some instruments that can help us get a feel for what the prescription might be. Um, they're called auto-refractors, and most eye, doctor, or most eye doctors have that equipment in their office. When you go in, most people know it as like the picture of the barn or the hot air balloon that you look in. Um, so we have equipment that's more specialized for younger kids um, that see. we can get really quick results on that. But a lot of what we do is using lights that when we shine the light in someone's eyes, we're actually able to see the light reflect back out of the eye and be with that information that tells us the way that someone is seeing. Uh, whether if you're looking far, are you able to see the charts far away? If you're not able to tell me, I can tell if there's a prescription that might be needed for glasses. Again, for a lot of the kids we look at who come in, we do that testing close up. So while they're reading words on a card, or in this case, if someone's nonverbal, we have pictures that they can look at. Or in Isaac's case, you know, there'd be words that he would probably recognize on the card. I would just have him look at the card to see the words while I'm looking at his eyes. And I, what I'm basically looking at is to see if where he's looking matches where the card really is based on what the light's telling me. Okay. Yeah, so we can definitely do that. And... Um, we use um, lenses. Um, most people are used to the big glasses that you look behind and yeah. see, but we would, we use lenses that are the same as that, but they're basically individual lenses that we can use, and we can kind of put together whatever we need from that to match what we're finding in the exam to really double check if what we're seeing is accurate. And so, and to me, for me, I always have somebody come back in that case that once I feel like I've got. So maybe they need glasses, and I'm going to recommend that. I always have them come back um, about a month later to double-check the glasses to see if they're wearing them um, because <laughs> if they're wearing them, they're probably helping. You know, yeah. If they're not wearing them, they're probably not helping. Um, and it also gives me a chance to double-check just to make sure that I still feel comfortable with the prescription that I've recommended or to see if we need to make any adjustments to it. Cool. Yeah. Cool. No, do you have any other questions for professional no. Joe? No. Okay. So let's switch gears over to Uncle Joe. What questions do you have? Um, what's it like being an uncle to someone or multiple people on the spectrum? Well, it's it was definitely, um, I remember I was actually in optometry school when you guys got your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. At the time, I was not really familiar with autism at all. And also, just based on my education at the school where I was at, we were not getting that type of education. So it was a whole new learning experience uh, for me. So it was it was something that I guess I didn't even know where to start as far as you know learning more about it for, um, at that time. So it was, um, but it was still, you know, when we heard the diagnosis, it was kind of like, well, okay, you're you're my nephews. Mm -hmm. So I'm still going to hang out with you guys the same as I yeah. would with with anybody else who was my nephew, you know, my nephews at the time. Mm -hmm. But it, for me, it was kind of interesting because of where I was and 
And I, I, at that time, I never would have predicted I would have gone down this route. I'll be honest, Noah, I, I, didn't, I don't do what I do because of you and Isaac. Mm-hmm. It was just the way that um, you know, things kind of worked out for me as far as my interest level. Yeah. And it's just become a bigger part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also have, I think, um, a better understanding coming in um, because I, I can, as an uncle, I have you know, can relate with the parents who come in because... Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've seen kind of the path you guys have taken, and it's mm-hmm. been beneficial for me to be able to empathize with the parents when they come in, and they've had a hard time finding the services that they're looking for, or that that type of thing has been easier for me as an uncle to be able to to work with these kids because I've had the experiences with you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the ability uh, for professionals to be able to empath- empathize with the families is, is hugely important because a lot of times, you know, if, if that professional doesn't have experience with it, it's, it's like with anyone. If you don't have experience with it, you don't really, you can't really understand it. Mm-hmm. And so being an uncle, being around these guys, and then as you grow into your profession and the kids are, being, are growing and, and, and making progress, you know, I would, like you said, it, it did, it, I'm glad to hear that it did help you with your empathy towards mm-hmm. the families, and that's really important um, to hear as a parent. Well, the other thing, too, um, Natter and I started doing more. We're the, kind of the coordinators of the Special Olympics vision screenings in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And who's, we've been, Nat, who's Natter? Natter is my wife. I mentioned her earlier. Did you mention her by name earlier? Did I mention her by name you earlier? You might have. Okay. Oh. Just, well, just yeah. to be clear. Okay. We she got had, that in My now. wife, Natara, who's also the other um, optometrist <laughs> at the office that we work at. But we were the coordinators for the Special Olympics vision screenings in Georgia. So every summer we, we do that on a Saturday. And that was the other thing, too, that when I did my training on that, that was um, a big learning experience because it was basically – someone who who set up the program was training us and they basically said these kids don't want to be looked at as different they just want to be looked at as the same as everybody else yeah and so when we do the screenings you know the kids are coming in and they've just competed in their events and they have their medals Mm -hmm. and so what we talk about is how the event's going you know let's get Mm -hmm. your eyes checked we don't talk about you know the kids if they have any you know special needs? What are your special needs? We don't talk about that stuff. Yeah. It's just they're coming in to get their eyes checked um, at our screenings, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that is the same way I kind of learned with you guys. It's mm-hmm. when we hung out, it wasn't well. How's your autism doing today, Noah? Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like how's school going? You yeah, know? how's mm-hmm. things going? What are you guys interested in right now? So mm-hmm. it's just it's that was a big learning th- experience for me. And thinking about these kids as kids and not as kids with autism, so that was mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we interviewed uh, another uncle before you, Scott, mm-hmm. and he, he. I'm a I'm a better uncle than he is, <laughs> I think. But. <laughs> well, that's up, that's up to, <laughs> to debate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. No maybe comment. It, there. Maybe it's a tie. We'll, we'll call it a tie today. <laughs> One thing he said very similarly was. He said that you know his nephews are people first, mm-hmm. yeah, and I agree. it's not like you, you know I don't see my kids with as their diagnosis. You know I don't see Isaac and see autism automatically. Now there are times like when we were at the coffee shop yesterday. Yeah, I was and I told this to Scott last night when we were interviewing him. Mm-hmm. And I was very frustrated that I couldn't just sit there, even for five or ten minutes, yeah. and have coffee. And then at that point, 
I saw autism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the time we've been with family, I haven't seen. I don't think about that. So. Well, I can probably tell you, Chris, that in the parents we deal with every day for their kids who don't have autism, I'm sure they have the exact <laughs> same frustrations because we, we get to hear some of that too. So yeah. I think it's more of a parent thing than, you know, and I'm not a parent, so I can't speak to that, but we see it deal with a lot of parents. So I, I, I see yeah. that too as, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a autism frustration, but a parent frustration, you know? Yeah, I do think that was brought on by <laughs> well. schedule stuff, too. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so, yeah. Do you want to move on to advice yeah. stuff? Uh -huh. Okay, why don't you go ahead and ask a question. Um, what are some... I can't talk. Mm. What's some advice you would give, like, teachers and parents about vision therapy and just people on the spectrum in general from what you've experienced? Sure, so... Like you guys mentioned, vision therapy is not something that's um, highly um, re known about. So a lot of the parents that come and see us, they've either been recommended by um, an eye doctor who's done an exam and, and found something, or a lot of occupational therapists work with kids who have difficulties with motor control, so eye tracking comes up. And a lot of times uh, parents will come in and they don't know what we do. And um, they say, well, my kids had a, their eyes checked at the pediatrician and they see 2020. They've always passed their screenings at school. Mm -hmm. And what we tell them um, basically is that is very important to have good eyesight. But you also have to have the ability to use your eyes um, at a high level to do academic work. And, and that control comes from your brain mm -hmm. to basically be able to coordinate the eyes and, and, and make them work the way they need to work. And so typically blurry vision, although it can be a concern, it's usually something that happens on and off. Um, the types of things we always tell parents to watch out for is if you don't feel like your child is meeting um, academically, meeting the expectations that you have for them based on kind of how you feel like they should be doing. A lot of the kids we see are smart kids that struggle in school. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one of the things that we always look out for uh, with that. And if they are having any concerns related to schoolwork, there's lots of different avenues that you can go down and that we work with kids who've gone lots of different avenues. Um, but certainly if you haven't had an eye exam, um, other than maybe just the screening at the pediatricians or at the, um, at the school offers, you really should have your, um, your child's eyes checked because uh, a lot of times it's not going to be something that's easily picked up during a screening that can be checked when an eye doctor does the exam. So, mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of trust yourself. These parents um, know something isn't quite right. They're, they know that there's something going on a little bit deeper. And, and they, we, a lot of parents we see have gone down many different roads before they hit vision therapy because they, the people don't recommend vision therapy all the time because they don't know about it. Yeah. And the same with teachers. A lot of teachers don't know much about what we do as, uh, in our vision therapy office as eye doctors. And so, you know, I would always tell parents because the ones we see have basically had to go that extra uh, step to try and figure out what's going on. And they're, they're coming in and not knowing much about what we do and putting some trust in us to try and, and help them mm -hmm. um, figure out kind of what the answer might be. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I would say that's kind of the biggest thing for parents and teachers is to keep your options open. Mm -hmm. There is a website of a lot of, that we recommend to a lot of parents who aren't in our area, um, who can potentially give them someone in their area that that 
does the vision therapy. What we do in that website is uh, covd.org. Uh, it's a group of optometrists. Uh, it's our optometry association um, that kind of focuses on vision therapy and vision rehabilitation. So we always point people in the direction of that website because the people who are a part of that organization are a little bit more specialized in vision therapy. Okay. Yeah, we'll include that in the show notes and on our website as, as well so mm-hmm. people have that goal. Okay, Joe, any other thoughts or anything else you wanted to share as part of this? I don't think so. I've been listening to the uh, podcast since it started. Um, and I mean, I think this stuff is very educational. I think for people, even myself as a, as a professional and a, and a relative, you know, to hear kind of the stories you guys have. And again, Mm -hmm. anyone who's involved with working with kids with special needs, it's great to hear stories to try and be able to interact with families coming in and maybe give them a different perspective mm-hmm. because we get to hear your perspective. So of course, I think it's been great. Um, and it's helped me a lot. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for being on the, on the podcast, Joe. You got it. I think there's it. any more of those, uh, what leftovers do we have upstairs? Man, I think, uh, what there's some roast beef sandwiches maybe <laughs> and some cheesy potatoes, something like that. I saw so. some donut holes too. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think you guys might want some. <laughs> yeah, I don't think those are leftovers. Those are a new batch. Those are a new batch. Exactly. All right. All right. Well, Joe, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks for All having right. me. Yep. Thanks for listening 